You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, my name is Ray Somerville. I have been attending Free City for five years. Um, I am a part of the Spurly Somerville City Group. Um, This morning, the scripture reading will be from Matthew 5, verses 38 through 48. That can be found on page 760 on the Bibles near your seats. If you guys would like to turn there. Matthew 5, 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you have heard that this It was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this beautiful fall morning um, that you've given us. Thank you for the splendor of the fall colors that surround us and remind us of your creation and your power. Father, I lift up Casey to you this morning as he um, brings the teaching of your word. I pray that you you would inspire his words by your spirit, God. Um, We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit uh, to speak to each of our hearts in individual and powerful ways. We praise you for your word that you've given us. Thank you that it is breathing and it is alive um, and that it can touch us uh, in magnificent ways. Uh, Father, I also thank you so much for uh, Free City Church and that you have given us a place to gather every week. Um, Thank you for Central Middle School and their willingness to open their doors to us and for their hospitality. Uh, Father, I pray that your spirit would rest upon this building throughout every day of the week, Lord, uh, whether we are here physically or not, um, we know that you are. And yeah, uh, Lord, I ask that you would be ever present in the lives of teachers, staff, administrators, and the students who attend this school, Lord. Um, I pray that they would come to know that... um, Jesus is Lord, and that he's seated on the throne, um, and that they can trust in him. Um, Thank you so much for this beautiful morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, good morning. My name is Casey. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're about to wrap up uh, the end of chapter 5, and not to worry, we got to get through chapter 6 and 7 before Christmas, uh, so it's going to work out great. Um, but we're coming into, uh, like, at the end of Matthew 5, like, if you've kind of noticed, as Jesus says, man, you've heard it said, but I say this, it feels like it's kind of just ratcheting up higher and higher and higher. And it gets to this place where he's talking about relationships, uh, interpersonal relationships, and the line that we draw that says, man, I will love you and you can get into my life as long as you don't cross this. You know, like, I, I would do anything for love, but I, I won't cross that. Like, you know, I, I literally have been thinking about meatloaf uh, all week long. I, uh, I man, this, so Wednesday morning, I was looking at my calendar, looking at just, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, trying to figure out where I had some space to meet with some people. And uh, I noticed on Friday in my calendar, my calendar was telling me that uh, Taylor Swift's album was dropping um, like that's what it said, Taylor Swift's al- new album drops. And I was like, I didn't put that in there. <laughs> and so then I realized, you know, we have a home phone that's a cell phone and uh, I think my Apple ID is enabling that and bringing it to life. And my kids will sometimes switch my Apple ID picture, which then goes out to everyone in emails. Um, and I think, they, I think my oldest daughter added that. And so I was kind of talking about that where, you know, at Citigroup on Wednesday, I was like, yeah, so in my calendar, it told me that Taylor Swift's album is dropping. Before I got the sentence out, Hannah goes, I have it in my calendar too. And so then we had this big conversation. And then it just, you know, I think my daughter's trying to make me, <clears throat> help me be relevant. Um, but I'm like super relevant. Like I know Taylor Swift is turnt. I mean, I know that, you know? I mean, I, I know that uh, Kinsey and me, I mean, she's my bae or my boo, or I just know she's had my bae bae. And so, I mean, I know, I know these things. But uh, I, I try to tell them about like my music growing up. So I came home singing a meatloaf. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And then I tried to explain it and they were like, why is he named after a casserole? And I was like, I don't know, but it's more creative than Chance the Rapper, you know? But like that song, <laughs> Chance the Rapper, who's that? Okay. Um, but so far I'm doing a pretty good job. They're watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the old one. So far, I've tried to explain what MTV is to them, and they try to relate it to uh, uh, Spotify. And I'm like, no, 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 I didn't say VH1, MTV for your mom. I said MTV. But when we talk about relationships, Jesus is going to say something really, really hard to us. He's going to say that we've accepted an ethic that is not his ethic at all, and what he's going to ask is going to really scare us. Jesus is going to say, like, you have drawn a line on some relationships that says, you took it too far, and I have now put you in the enemy category, and I don't have to love you, I don't have to open anything else to you. And he's going to say, if we live out that ethic, all we're going to find is loneliness in isolation, everyone crossed into the enemy category, everyone separated from us. 
All we're going to find is the isolation of hell itself as we sit around and we grumble of how people wronged us and we were right. As we accept a narrative that portrays our innocence and their damnation, he says, we've accepted an ethic that will get us nowhere near the kingdom of God. Now, I realize like when, when I say this, like when I look at this and when I study this, like I realize like I, I am talking to people like me. I am talking to people who've had relationships that really, really hurt them, that crossed a line. And we, it's not that we're like, just like wanna be mean. It's not like we just wanna have people at, at enemies with us. It's that we are so deeply hurt, we don't see any way back. And so Jesus, one more time, in this section, he says it twice, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you, I'm bringing an otherworldly kingdom and the only thing that's gonna fix this world is a very specific kind of love, a love that loves your enemies. And it's starting, Jesus says, it's starting with me. And so he's gonna say, I've got two points. He's gonna say, man, we have accepted something that is not of the kingdom of God at all and we've made it good, right, and normal and just acceptable. And then he's gonna turn and he's gonna say, what we need more than anything else. And he's gonna look at you and he's gonna look at me. He says, I know it scares you. But the line that you've drawn, we all have a line somewhere on that continuing relationship. And he says, I want the whole line. I don't want just this part of it. So let me pray for us. Father, Lord, as we look at this, like there's a pretty shallow way that we can look at this, that we can look at it and say, man, Jesus, what you're asking for, man, it is just like pie in the sky. There is just no way uh, that we can give that. And so then we just say, man, that's just like some sort of teaching that no one can acquire. So therefore, this must be fulfilled in Christ and it absolutely is fulfilled in Christ, but fulfilled in Christ meant to affect us to come from the kingdom of heaven who was deeply, deeply wronged and went the extra mile. And so just as as your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, man, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit of God would place a relationship in your heart, a line that you feel has been crossed that you don't even want to name. But I want you to entertain that the Holy Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who laid down his life for you, wants to draw your attention there. And he wants something of the end of Matthew 5 to speak there. God, Lord, we ask for help. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing, what we've accepted. This is gonna say, man, we have accepted an ethic that says hurt those who hurt you and love those who love you as good as even right, and it's not working. And so we have a lot of examples, but first, like, hurt those who, who hurt you. Like, we've accepted that that's okay, that's even good, that it's a right to live like this. Like, if someone hurts you, you have a right to hurt them back, and it's just not working. Like, like it's not working. And, and, like, what we have is everyone is hurt, and everyone feels justified. Like, it is their right to hurt those who've hurt them, who then they get hurt, and they feel justified to hurt those who've hurt them. And he's saying, it has to stop somewhere. And he's going to say, I want it to stop with my people. 
I wanted to stop with the people of God. I wanted to start with my people, the church. I want to show a different ethic. And so look at verse 38. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who, who is evil. And so like what happened was the intention of this had gotten kind of more into like the letter of the law wrongly applied than the spirit of the law rightly applied. And so like if you look back, like what he's talking about is he's talking about like Exodus 21, 24. The intent of an eye for an eye is justice in a world drunk on power and vengeance. And so in Exodus 21, starting in verse 24, if you read the whole chapter, what you find is a lot of judicial law. Like in society, like there is right and there is wrong and everybody is held accountable to that. There is no one above it. Like if you read all of that, Exodus 21, it's gonna make you uncomfortable because it talks a lot about the, the master and slave relationship. But it talks about it in an otherworldly way that says, masters, you don't have a right to do whatever you want. You're accountable. There's no one who's not accountable. There's something that is laid across humanity because you're created in the image of God that you have value. And there's something that we should all rally around that looks at your life, that elevates it and says, you have rights and you have value, whether you have money and power or not. And we should protect that. And so the spirit of the law, the spirit of an eye for an eye was meant to put those with money and power under accountability. The spirit of law was everyone's accountable for wrongdoing. Nobody is above the judicial code of right. Big companies are accountable to poor neighborhoods for polluting the river. Public officials are accountable to citizens they serve. Prison guards are accountable to how they treat prisoners, leaders, CEOs, pastors, police officers. All are accountable. All come under this code of ethic because we are created in the image of God and your power and your money doesn't give you a right to escape accountability. In a time when the big kid on the playground got away with whatever he wanted because he was the big kid, this was a time when the poor had little or no safety. An eye for an eye was a gift to put all under accountability for wrongdoing. It was meant to limit escalating retribution for hurts. Escalating retribution for hurts. You hurt me, I have to hurt you more. Like th This is why, I, I did student ministry for a long time, this is why you can't let pranks happen at camp. Like, you, you just can't let them happen. Like, it starts off pretty innocent, like the old salt and the lemonade. You know, you take a drink, you spit it out, you're like, ha, you got me. And then you're like, you, you know. And then you have to one-up that. So you do like the little saran wrap in the stall door. You know, you walk into it, and you think you freak out when you walk into a spider web. It is nothing. You walk into saran wrap, and you're like, my tongue touched it, and that can't be undone. And I mean, and so you're like, you, and then the old sand in the sleeping bag, the next step is murder because the sand will never come out. There's no way to get it out. Sand in the sleeping bag, you flip it out, you take it, and then you roll over in the middle of the night and sandpaper against your thighs. I mean, it will never be undone. And it just escalates and it escalates and it escalates. This is how blood feuds are started. An escalating 
phenomenon that ends in darkness. This is the history of Lawrence. Like the history of Lawrence. Like you have, you have uh, bleeding Kansas. Like in, in inception, it was like Lawrence was established to be a place of freedom. Like it was established to oppose slavery and Missouri was undecided. And so you had these skirmishes going back and forth that escalated and escalated and escalated and ended with Quantrill and his raiders coming. You can do the run. There's a run where you can run, how Quantrill came in in Lawrence. You can do the run. And he pulled out 150 men and boys and executed them in the streets. He says, if we live in such a way that, man, I, like, we apply it interpersonally, like I'm just gonna one up, you hurt me, I get to hurt you. When does it stop? How does it stop? Like, listen to one of the commentaries. And so, like, this eye for an eye was intended for judicial justice society, but when it's applied interpersonal interactions, the tyranny of self will kill all. And so, this says, Jesus is concerned, his concern is with the inappropriateness of such a formula being applied to personal ethics. Applied to the context, it becomes a justification for getting your own back. And this ultimately for the relentless perpetuation of the traditional blood feud with no hope of escaping the cycle of reciprocal violence. See, Jesus steps in and he wants to follow with some cultural examples that would have deeply convicted his hearers and even made them say, man, you're crazy. You're crazy. No one can live like that. And, and so look, like he, he's saying like, this is to be a reflection of his coming kingdom to the end of a never-ending escalation of division and hurt. You will have to lay down some rights that you have accepted as warranted. And so the first, we, we live out this humiliate those who humiliate you, and it's just not working. Like Jesus uses a first century example to say, can you let it go? And so look at verse 39 in the middle of it. The example is this, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And so this is not actually talking about like self-defense. It's talking about what do you do when you are hurt and insulted? Like, like getting slapped in, in this culture was humiliation. Like it was humiliating, but I think it's still humiliating. Like, like we say things like, man, that kid can sure take a punch. You know, and that's like, we're like saying, he's tough. Man, he stood up and he took it. We, we don't say things like, take the slap like a man. I mean, we don't say that. Or we say stuff like this. We say stuff like this. We say, hey, what you just did, that is a slap to my face intended to communicate, you have just injured me. Like you have attacked me, you have disrespected me, you have humiliated me. And so Jesus starts that says, man, we have accepted that if someone tries to humiliate you, you have a right to humiliate them and it's not working. Like where does that stop? Like how does that stop? Like, I have kids. Like, I know how this works. Like, I mean, it starts off, and it's something like this. Like, she called me a name. And so then we have to, you know, come in, and then it's like, they're on my side of the seat. And then it goes to something like that. They're smiling at me. And then it's like, they looked at me. All of a sudden, everything gets tainted with, like, 
Your intention for me is to humiliate and hurt me. It all spreads out and there's no moving closer together because the line in that back seat is an impenetrable line. But it doesn't just happen with kids. Like now we see it out in in social media with moms and dads and leaders and pastors fighting and one-upping one another online. How's it working? Like, like we insult and we slander, we exaggerate and we lie, trying just to one-up, you're so silly, you're ridiculous, I don't even have to deal with you, the line is drawn. And, and then like you get caught in a lie, like you said something about someone, and you know, it seemed like you used to get caught in a lie, like there's video evidence of your lie, and you're like, oh man, you got me, gosh, I overdid it. Now you just like double down even harder, We start to live like we have a right to lie about those who lie about you, attack those who attack you, injure those who injure you, humiliate and push out those who humiliate and push out you. And the question that Jesus, where does it stop? How does it stop? Like Jesus says that he wants it to stop with us. Turn the other cheek is the minimum required give to sustain any relationship. If you won't turn the other cheek, there is not a relationship that will last. Jesus is concerned about something that we say is right, that is on an imminent path to a destination of destruction, a constant one-upping ethic that will render us isolated in a narrative of our own invention, it'll destroy all relationships. This is several years ago, but I remember with a couple other pastors coming to meet with a couple who, man, we didn't have any idea there was so much difficulty. And so we're sitting there trying to step toward peace like just trying to get everyone to take one step toward the middle, but it's like this trench warfare. And it's like, man, if I poke my head up, I'm gonna get it blown off. Like, and it's just one step toward the middle. And so kind of just hearing what's going on, the wife, she gave this example. She said, yeah, it was like earlier this week. And then she you know, described something that was hurtful. Before she could get it out, he jumps and his response was like, oh yeah, this week, that was two weeks ago. And they gave the exact date. And I was like, bro, we have got to calm down. I say just the other day, and literally it is any day after I graduated college or yesterday, any day. Like two weeks ago, yesterday, we're gonna call that fair game. But I had been injured, so I stepped further away. So I injure back, so they step further away. Pretty soon, Just the other day, last week, no, it was two weeks ago, is an injury. Jesus says, man, this turn the other cheek. You're gonna be insulted. You're gonna be injured. Things are gonna go. It is the minimum requirement for sustaining any lasting relationship. It has to stop somewhere. And Jesus is saying, I wanted to stop with my people. The, The second example, look at verse 40. The second example is we live out, take from those who take from you. Like this pirate ethic, like take all you can get, give nothing back. Or, you know, take from those who take from you. Verse 40 says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, that's your shirt, let them have your cloak, your outer coat as well. 
Like the language is very, very specific here, and it's meant to point us to Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 24. In Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 24, like it is a very specific limit in what you can take from someone who owes you money. And so when he talks about this outer cloak, this cloak, He's saying if someone sues you and they try to take your outer cloak, which is illegal for them to do, if you owe money, they say, hey, you can take all this other stuff. You can't take the outer cloak because it is the minimum shelter that a person has to have to survive. They use it to maybe gather their food during the day. They use it as a coat when it's cold. It's a tent at night. It is like the minimum required. It says you can't take that. It doesn't matter how much they owe you. There is a limit to what you can take because they have need. And so Jesus says, hey, if they sue you and ask for your tunic, hold open-handed what they have no right to ask from you. Everyone would have been like, what? Like, they can't even ask for that. And you're saying, hold that open-handed? I have rights. They can't cross that line. How dare they? And Jesus is saying something that would scare all of us. He is prescribing a manner of life that's saying, are you willing to take loss to have peace? Are, are you, like we all have that line, I mean, the, you know, the meatloaf thing didn't land really well. I mean, I thought it was hilarious. I was so excited about it. Um, you know, I mean, the, the video itself is so confusing. Like, I, he's like a vampire or something, being chased by the law, but I'll do anything for love. I won't do that. I don't know what that is, but he won't do it. Still didn't land. Um, <laughs> we've all been hurt, and I'm not saying my hurt is as deep as your hurt or your hurt is as deep as the hurt next to you. But we get this ethic in, in 1 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking about the church and he's like, hey man, some wrong has happened and we've got church members suing church members. And he just says it. It's almost like he just screams out, for the sake, why wouldn't you rather just be wronged? Yeah, that's not saying that there's never a reason for legal course. Like there is a reason for legal course, but he's speaking to an ethic of like, I'm not gonna be a chump. You're not gonna get me. I'm gonna do whatever I do to get back on top. It's creating this like dog eat dog world where I'll do anything to crawl to the top. I will not be wrong. There is a line and if you cross that line, all relationships be just blown up. And he's saying something has to give. And he's very aware, like he's very aware of our circumstances. Like we have this like voice in our heart that when someone you know, crosses a boundary, like this little voice in our heart stands up and says, that's not right. We're getting taken advantage of. They can't do that. And the problem is I have that voice in my heart. You have that voice in your heart. It's screaming really loud and it's hard to come together because real lines have been crossed. And Jesus is saying, you've accepted this ethic like it's good and it's right. And man, if we just take and we take from those who take from us and we say, no way, all we have is maybe stuff and maybe our list of stuff, if we're good at it, it's gonna be a really big list, but your list of relationships will get smaller and smaller 
and smaller because the sin in my heart is going to step on you. And I'm going to need your forgiveness. And so then he picks up and he gives this kind of twofold thing in verse 41 where it kind of just says this, let no one take advantage of you. Like we live in like an ethic, like I'll be taken advantage by no one. I have certain rights. No one's gonna touch me. And Jesus is saying, it's just not working. So look at verse 41 and 42. It says, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, giving to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Like both of these examples scream, don't you dare take advantage of me or I shouldn't have to do that. Like, look at verse 42 first. Like, it's talking about giving in a reckless, generous way. And like, right now, you're like, well, well I mean, what if people take advantage of me? Or, or, or what if they're lying? Or, or what, if, what if they go buy drugs with it? You know, I mean, you're saying all these different things of what happens if I live generously. And it's not saying that we don't work hard. It's not saying we don't work hard to give in a way that really, really helps. Like, sometimes you need tough love to help people out of difficult circumstances. But it's saying there should be an ethic about us that our number one priority is not holding on to our stuff. Or our number one priority is not to not get taken advantage of. There should be a different ethic in our lives that is contrast to the world. And then it's even better explained in verse 41, where it talks about, I shouldn't have to do that. So the extra mile... Like Jesus' example of going the extra mile was a cultural example that would have made every one of Jesus' hearers just say, mm, and probably spit on the ground. You know, I mean, just like, are you serious, Jesus? In Palestine, under, under Roman rule, a Roman soldier could force any non-Roman to carry his supplies up to a mile. You could be having dinner with your family, and the door could get kicked open, and he could make you pick up his things and carry it a mile, and there was nothing you could do about it. It was like this constant reminder of, you're beneath us, you're subject to me, you don't have the same rights that I have. It would have been like this reminder of, how dare you? Like this oppressive act was humiliating. It was a constant reminder of who was in charge. It was oppressive. It was a violation of autonomy and rights. And Jesus is asking, will you lay down your rights? Will you go the extra mile when you've been wrongfully pressed against? When your heart screams, I shouldn't have to. Can you value something more? than protecting the loss right then. Jesus is speaking to what we believe, that we have a right to live out. And he's just asking this question, is it working? Is it working? You know, hurt those who hurt you and pretty soon all we're gonna have is lonely, hurt people and it has to stop somewhere. And Jesus is saying, I want it to stop with my people. Or, or, or take those who dare take from you and we have this never ending cycle of just dog eat dog world, each clawing to get to the top of one another. And Jesus is saying, it has to stop somewhere and I want it to stop with my people. Or, or like I'll be taken by no one and all we have is angry, suspicious people. And it has to stop somewhere. And Jesus says, man, I want it to stop with my people. 
It's like we're creating this, like the worst middle school dance ever where all the boys are on one side of the gym and all the girls are on the other side of the gym. And in the middle of the floor is like the dance of reconciliation and we're all, meatloaf is playing again. You know, we all wanna do that, but we're scared to death to take a step one to another because what if I ask you to dance with me and you laugh at me? What if I make myself vulnerable and you hurt me again? And you saying, it has to start somewhere. All we're gonna have is an ever-growing list of enemies that we believe we're not obligated to love. And, and so the, the, the first under this kind of like what we, what we believe, like what we've accepted is like hurt those who hurt you, lots of examples. The second part of, of this teaching is we get this like, we only have to love those who love us. And so we have accepted that it's okay, even good and right, to only love those who love us, and it's not working. Look at verse 43. It says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Like, the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. Like, it definitely says the first part, Leviticus 19. Like, let's actually walk through Leviticus 19. In verse 17, and so he's saying, man, you got the first part right, and then you just kind of ratcheted on the second part because it kind of fit your life in such a way. And so Leviticus 19, verse 17, it says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Like this sounds like the intention of everything we've talked about, like thou shalt not murder in verse 21. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I'm saying if you harbor hatred in your heart, it is the, it is the seedbed of all that growing out. You've gotta have the conversation. You've gotta press toward him. You've gotta fight the narrative in your heart. Like, like if you look at it very, very specifically, here in verse 17, it says, this is radical. Guys, this is radical. Write this down. If someone sins against you, it says, go talk to them. Go talk to them. Don't go to tell them off. Don't just block them. Don't go yell at them and then end the conversation early and leave. It says, go talk to them. And then it says this, go reason with them. It says, you should be reasonable. Like, be honest. Like, it's not saying, like, say what was done wasn't really hurtful. It's like, be honest. It was really hurtful. Go be reasonable. And then it goes, listen, you don't have a right to bear a grudge. Look at verse 18. You shall not take vengeance. Kind of what we've been talking about. Or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Kind of sounds like what we've been talking about. Like you can't live by hurt those who hurt you as an inalienable right or only love those who love you. You can't bear a grudge. You can't extract violence or vengeance. Like what can you do? Now look at what it says. What can you do? But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. They got that part right. Like that part was correct. Jesus said, you've heard that part right. But like if you are in your Bible, verse 19 does not say you can hate your enemy. It actually talks about cattle breeding rules. It actually starts to talk about like cattle breeding. And so like the hermeneutic that ratchets that up to say, oh, I can hate my enemy. Like I, it, it is an impressive like gymnastic hermeneutic that gets there that I, I, maybe you can get there if you're vegan and you're like, I hate meat, people are made of meat, so there you go. I mean, I don't know how you get there, but it became culturally accepted 
those who love me, I'll love them. But you get to that enemy list. I'm done with you. Like, do you see the dangerous sin that we hold in our hearts that will bend anything to its own end? We can read a Leviticus 19. We can see it in with love your neighbor as yourself. And we can say, man, it just doesn't quite fit. I must be able to hate those who hate me. And so I turn, love your neighbor. Go reason with your neighbor. Don't you dare take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge. And to hate those who hate you. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, because that is what people believed was just fine. Do you ever get scared? I mean, do you ever get scared that you're gonna run out of friends as they hurt you and you can't forgive? Do you, do you ever get scared what family you're gonna have left? Like, what can we do when we see this pattern everywhere and we kind of see it applauded? What can we do? What will save us from this ever accelerating path of destruction? And the text answers itself really, really loudly. Enemy, love. Love your enemy. And so if the first question was, what have we accepted? You hurt me, I hurt you. The second is, what do we need? And Starting in verse 44, it starts to describe this enemy love. Verse 44, it says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And so he pulls it up to himself and he says, love your enemies, pray for your enemies, talk to God about those who have hurt you, like be honest, see yourself in them, see your sin before you see theirs. Like, and it says, be like God, your father who is in heaven. Verse 45, it goes on. For he, God, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Like he says, listen, God sends kindness to people who are enemies of him because that's actually all he has to start with. Like your worst neighbor, like they get the same weather you get. Like, like the Kansas phenomenon where this time of year you gotta go take a picture by a sunflower, the enemies of God get to enjoy that also. He says, may God sends kindness and good to people who will never love him, who curse him, who blaspheme him, who declare God in his ways their enemy. And then he gives this cultural example of verse 46. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Everything we have been talking about is the declining steps that lead to a really big enemy list. You hurt me so I can hurt you, so you hurt me back until you're on that list. New enemy, I don't have to love you. You took from me so I could take from you, so you could take back from me. New enemy, I don't have to love you. 
I won't let my guard down. I won't be taken advantage of again. New enemy list, fixed. I'm on one side of the gym, you're on the other. I'm not stepping forward. It's so, it's so common. There is no necessary, you, you don't need any supernatural power to live like that. It is all bound up in you. It is good and right in your voice, inside of your head when you talk about it. It makes so much sense. But then if we speak it out loud and we keep getting a larger list of they're untrustworthy, I'm not gonna let them in. I don't even have to love them. That list keeps growing and growing and growing. Jesus says it's common. You don't need any supernatural power to live like that. Even the no good, dirty tax collectors and Gentiles, they live like that. If you've been hurt, if you've been taken advantage of, I know this is asking you to look at that line that's drawn and it is asking something unbelievably scary. Like, I know it's asking for something beyond a line of pain. Like, this line that's been drawn because I was deeply, deeply hurt or sinned against. Like, it's not an imaginary sin or it's not an imaginary thing. But what happens is I start finding evidence to support that thing to make it feel really fixed and really, really strong. And what Jesus is about to say is saying, I don't want just this part of your life that stops at that imported line right there. I want all of it. And so verse 48, it says this, look at it. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now we often hear that as you must be holy as God is holy, but that's not the word it uses. When it says perfect, it uses the word telos. Telos means total, covering all, complete from one end to the other, having reached the very end of everything that you have. It means all. And so the translators say perfect because perfect includes all. But in one way, Jesus is saying, you must give all just like your heavenly father has given all. See, Jesus is saying the line that you have drawn in your life that says I won't ever forgive that or them, I won't cross this line and they better not cross this line. Jesus is saying, give me that line. Give me that line. I want both sides of that line. And he's saying, I know that crossing that line feels like death. And then he says, but I in a very real way, crossed the line of death so that I could bring everything on the side of death to the side of life. Jesus is saying, I crossed the line from heaven to earth in Philippians 2. I, I, I crossed the line and was insulted and struck in the face and my beard was pulled out and I was reviled and I didn't revile back. It was talked about in Isaiah 53 and it happened in Matthew 26. Jesus saying, I crossed the line, my robe was torn from me and I offered my flesh to the whip according to John 19. Jesus saying, I crossed the line and I walked the extra mile to a place called Golgotha 
where I was crucified and I crossed from the line from the living to the dead with the wrath of God poured out upon me so that I could help you, my enemies, cross from death to life, Matthew 5, 24. Jesus is saying, I know this is possible, but I also know it's scary. And he's saying, you believe that there is a kind of love that will change you. We all do. We believe that there's a kind of love out there that's gonna change us. Like we, we, Sometimes we believe it's a romantic love. And Jesus didn't use the word romantic love here. He could have. Like we believe if I have that kind of husband or if I have that kind of wife or I have that kind of relationship, then I'm gonna be okay. It's gonna cross me over from all the darkness that I feel. It's gonna support me and fix me. And Jesus said, that's not the kind of love that's gonna save you. Or we believe like there's a kind of like friendship love and Jesus didn't use that kind of word here. There's a kind of, if I had these kind of friends who encouraged me and let me in and built me up or, you know, held me accountable, you know, pulled me out of darkness, then I'd be okay. And he's saying, man, friendship love is great. Romantic love is great. Or we could even say like a reputation, like some sort of community love, like I'm esteemed and people see my worth, you know, they really like me and they talk good about me. If I had that kind of esteem, that kind of love, then I'd be okay, I'd be safe. But Jesus uses a very specific word. He uses the word agape love, which means no ends, no beginnings, all encompassing, always there. I'm gonna take you loving. And he applies it to enemies. Look at me. The only love that can cross us from death to life is the God of the universe looking upon enemies and giving it all. And he says, I want my people to look like that. And so as we transition to communion, we see the measure of Jesus's love that he came and he was beaten and he died and his blood was poured out. And it reminds us that we are made right because the God of the universe said, I'm not gonna hold the line. I'm gonna give it all. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, as we read in Matthew 5, verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, it describes this, why we were enemies Jesus came and Jesus died. And so, Lord, we, we ask for help. Now, I know there's movement going around, but I just want you to try to be still just for a second. Thinking back to the beginning of the sermon, when I said, man, I want you to think about that hurt or that offense or that line and entertain that maybe the Holy Spirit has placed that. Like, what would the teaching of Matthew 5 tell you to do with that? Now, if, you, if you're actually thinking about a line that happened, you also heard another voice. And that voice said, that you can't ask me to do that. 
And I'm just asking this, like I'm asking you to look at what, what we see here and to say, man, if the God of the universe is willing to hold no lines and to step into this world to declare me innocent, to die in my place while I was still an enemy, to make me a child, a son or daughter of God, like, like I, don't, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but what does it look like to hold the whole line of your life open and say, God, I'm gonna give you telos. I'm gonna give you all. You gave all, I'm gonna give you all. I, I, it's easy for me to trust you with this side of the line. It's really hard for me to trust you with that side of the line, but at least we're talking about the line. Will you talk to God about the line? Will you talk to God's people about the line? Will you look at the example of Jesus himself and say, you certainly earn a right to talk about the line? Because if we live by hurt those who hurt us or take from those who take from us, or humiliate those who humiliate us, or I don't only have to love the people who are loving to me, I don't have to love those people. We already know that doesn't work. What if God, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit that was given to us because of the work on the cross, said, I'm giving you supernatural power that can change the staunchest enemy of God into a follower of God? Father, Lord, we love you and we need you. And Lord, as we uh, step toward communion or we sit still because you've laid something on our heart and we need to do business with you or we step back to the black curtains just to ask for prayer on a line, a very real line that's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be act like it wasn't crossed or wasn't hurt, a very, very real line. And we may not even know what we're supposed to do with that, but we just know that the Holy Spirit of God is saying, talk to me about this line. Lord, would you empower us? And when you say, this has to stop somewhere, and I want it to stop with my people, would you be with us? God with us. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen.